we got here by marketing and sales and certain branding things and I'm like yeah that's important but you can watch countless interviews Steve Jobs was notorious for talking about the importance of hiring and recruiting he's famous for saying that the difference between an A player and a C player can be 50 or 100 X Hello innovators, I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software Great Tech Group. You're invited to join our conversations to model the future of construction, innovation, and the digital transformation adventure of this great industry. My guest today is Matt Dabara, the undercover contractor and owner of the Contractor Consultants LLC. Matt is dedicated to help contractors make better decisions. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks for having me, Todd. Appreciate it. Yeah, looking forward to it. So I, I understand you have a, a pretty great family history in construction. So can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I tell you, it's a big, big weight on the shoulders. Um, four, <laughs> four, four generations, uh, great grandfathers came from Italy um, to the East Coast originally. A grandfather did it, father, uncle, and then I was tasked with not screwing it up. And uh, so far, so far, I've been very fortunate. But um yeah, we've been doing this uh, 103 years we can track, like we can verifiably say wow. from the beginning of what they've built till now. Uh, we think it's further because my great grandfathers came here and they knew a bunch of stuff and nobody knows where they learned it, even as young boys, you know, 16, 17 yeah. when they, they got here. So we think it goes back <clears throat> much further in Italy, but um, we're not, you know, we're not, I can't track that part. That's amazing. So what about it resonated with you, uh -huh. even from a, an early age? Yeah, you had the, the family history, but what kind of struck you personally about it? I, I liked building things. I, I liked, you know, I think my dad, well, it's funny. It's two parts. Um, I liked building things. Um, and, and I thought that a lot of that was, was just me as my personality. And then um, I was going through some family photos. And I have a one-year-old uh, now, and she can kind of recognize my face in pictures. And so I was showing my daughter like photos of me. And as yeah. I was going through them, I realized there were some of me when I was about a year or two old with my dad sitting on his lap as he's driving an excavator. And so I'm like, I don't know how much of this was was actually me versus incepted at a very young age, which I'm not complaining. I, I, I love <laughs> but I was I was told that I started working when I was nine. But there's definitely photos of me at like four or five on job sites yeah. and sandboxes. So yeah, it's been nice. a, it's your been dad a was just whispering in your ear as you were sleeping. You will go into construction. <laughs> I think so. I think so. I mean, my daughter, I whispered dada in her ear for the first like six months. And that's all she yeah. said for six months later. So I'm like, if he did construction, you know, build walls, <laughs> right. be the best. That might have had something to do with it. I mean, who knows? Yeah, it works. It works. I have four of my own kids and uh, that for sure. For sure, you could <laughs> implant different things. Not that I do, but you could. Yeah. You could. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, what has your your kind of learning journey looked like in in the industry? Uh, how have you, uh, you know, maybe what worked well? Uh, what would you recommend others do along that path? And then maybe some mistakes that they should avoid because you already made them for them. Well, I, I think the biggest piece for me was just being okay with with trying lots of different things. Um, I remember a quote by one of my uh, one of one of my mentors, and he explained. I think it was Peter Drucker who came up with it, and it's not important. But what's important is he said uh, businesses are made up of marketing, primarily marketing and innovation, and everything else within the business is to support those two functions. And really, what as I 
went through this journey of literally starting on job sites, picking up trash and mixing mortar to running crews, to running a company, to running a very technological, you know, technology based, just really innovative company. Um, the biggest thing I learned is that if you're innovating, meaning constantly trying new things, and then the marketing is just messaging the new things that are working, I'm like, oh, business is very simple. And I think that was one of the things I was fortunate to, my, my background was rooted in like, I learned in traditional construction. So I learned in, in very practical, in a very practical sense, right? It was like, it was like, we got to move the stone from here to here. How are we going to do it? And there was no, like, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, overly ethereal. It wasn't extremely um, uh, thought or, or, or uh, kind of cloud-based, right? Concept-based. It was just very practical. And then I mm -hmm. think that served me much later in life because I was able to take that approach with things that I didn't understand. So I was able to look at a company, right? Like a friend of mine has a VA company and she, I watched her grow this company from three virtual assistants to about 150 in a year and a half. And so wow. I didn't know what she was doing. I didn't understand the technology at the time, but I was like, she's doing something that's working very well to help systemize all of these remote employees. And so this was at the early onset of, of, uh, you know, 2020. And so that, it goes back to that practical approach of like, I didn't need to understand how somebody was doing everything. I just need to look and go, okay, I can glean this, this, and this. And then I would do it without even a full understanding of how it all worked. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Cause you, on the surface, you think the, the practical and the conceptual thinking is, is set kind of in, in opposition to each other. But wait, you're saying there is, is that the, the practical ability actually gave you a, a leg up and uh, advantage in thinking conceptually. How did you um, come about kind of making that that leap and um, kind of overcoming the maybe perceived hurdles of the practical thinking? Well, does that make sense? I, yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, I, I remember I, I wanna uh, I was in I went to school for engineering, um, uh, well, construction management, and then they had some engineering components and environmental design. And I remember we had this this uh, in one of the advanced classes with this. Basically, they gave you uh, paper clips and straws and you had to build a bridge and it was a weight to strength ratio. So you could, you know, obviously the more straws and paper clips you use, the more weight and then it had, or, you know, the more it weighed and then the strength of, of putting an object on it um, did less. And so I remember uh, just thinking about traditional bridges and then I took, put two desks together. I was the only person to do this in our group. I put two desks together. I left the, I mean, no pun intended to the bridging the gap, right? I put two desks together. I left the space. And then I laid out these straws and I put my finger in the middle, like the tester and I yeah. saw where it broke and I put an extra paper clip there and then I did it again and I saw where it broke and we did that like 10 times and we won this very complicated thing. And I remember seeing everybody and they were drawing and sketching out, you know, how to build the bridge and they're trying to like figure out the loads and the 45s. I'm like, we know what bridges look like because we've, we've all, you know, drove cars. Right. <laughs> and so we won this, yeah, we won this very kind of, uh, innovative award, uh, as we competed and, and we had the best record of any class that had ever done it. And all I did was just think, what does a bridge look like? And then I tried it. So I sampled the testing of what we did. And so you, to answer your question specifically, what, that was me that day. I left that class going, wow, this, this practical to conceptual thing works. And that was the first time I'd ever been, I think, rewarded uh, outwardly for it because at, at the time it was it was just you'd solve little job site issues or you'd you'd think of little things. But it was like you know I mean these are very very smart people um, that I was competing against and I'm 
I'm the blue collar guy who built walls, you know, kind of coming into this thing face value shouldn't have done as well as we did. But I was just like, okay, what's the machine that we're testing with? Great. Where's it go? All right, let's emulate that test. Did it 10 times. I was like, I think we're good. We were done an hour early. My team's like, what do we do? I'm like, I don't know what else to do. I'm like, this thing is <laughs> like that. We could see what the ratios are. We're like three or four times the best one. I'm like, let's, let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think people make a mistake in innovation by overcomplicating it. In almost every single case, the most simplistic option is the most innovative option. And it's innovative because people don't think of it. They, they want to overcomplicate it and kind of prove their, their worth by adding those uh, layers of, of complexity into it. But just go simple and it's going to be innovative. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, my dad or my grandfather growing up, simple. Like, I, you know, I'd come up with, I'm like, all right, we're going to do this, this, this. They're like, no, no. And that comes back to bricklaying, right? Bricklaying, if you want to be a good bricklayer, which I grew up laying brick and stone, they actually mm -hmm. count your movements. So I had teachers when I was in school and he had a little ticker and he would yeah. count every single movement because a good bricklayer can lay uh, 1,500 to 2,000 brick a day. So if you're burning three extra movements on 1,500 brick, that's 4,500 movements. And so yeah. he would show how you can save three or four. And again, I just always had that simple, simple, simple uh, kind of thought process. And it's, but the hard part is, and I empathize is it's scary because you're like, is it really this easy? Like, you know, I was doing the, <laughs> I was testing the bridge. I'm like, is this really as easy? Like, I'm like, these people are so smart that have, you know, like it was showing one of the kids like graduated early who won this and like, you know, they had put their picture up and what they built and it looked like something out of a space movie. And I'm like, I mean, this just looks like the bridge I used to drive over in Cape Cod growing up as a kid, you know, Massachusetts. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. So that's awesome. I agree. <laughs> nice. I like it. Well, for those trying to, to grow their business, what are some areas that they should really be kind of focusing in on on first? Well, there's, there's a couple main drivers that I've seen in my experience. Um, I think in this day and age uh, that we're seeing a shift. We're seeing a shift from a sales. So there's a lot of available knowledge and expertise when it comes to building a brand, when it comes to marketing. Um, and, and I validated this. I go to a lot of trade shows and I always count the booths and I say, okay, mm -hmm. 273 booths. There's 48 of them are marketing. They all have a branding component. So I'm, you know, I look at that and I say, I, I see the marketplace and, and, and our industry and how receptive we are to certain things. It wasn't like that years ago when I started, it was my dad in the yellow pages. So I've seen this evolution of, of, of how we grow businesses. And so I think, Paying attention to your brand and your marketing, extremely important. I think simplifying those things are important. For example, a brand to me is just a promise. If you think of any brand you go to, it's a promise, two parts, to your customer and to your team. Don't mm -hmm. complicate it, right? Like Starbucks, McDonald's, what are they doing? Right? They have a promise to their customers. You know, McDonald's, for example, fast food. And they have a promise to their, to their team, right? You're going to consistently work. They have a clear growth plan. They have you know, a, a very clear mentorship and they can literally put timestamps on how long you work in certain positions. And so that if we understand our brand and we understand our marketing, which are really important because that drives the engine, I think where most businesses are, 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 have a huge opportunity to, to be competitive is in the hiring space it is finding recruiting and retaining a players. It's maximizing your team you know, the concept of how high is high, asking mm -hmm. yourself, you know, how can I do X, Y, Z better? 
is this, you know, am I, am I even measuring all the areas? That's the first part. What gets measured gets managed. So, so measuring the areas of your business, but I think we're seeing a shift from sales focus to hiring retention and culture focus. And I think if you're paying attention to that shift right now, and as somebody who literally sat with his, you know, my dad at the at purchasing advertising before, this is before websites, it was the yellow pages. We'd meet every six months. It was like, Mr. Debarra, I think you should do a full page ad. My dad's like, no, nah, I'll stick with a half page. We'll see you in six months. Like that was it. Um, I think, I think everybody's kind of, uh, they're all that, that, that gap, that leverage, if you will, is, is much less now in the marketing branding space. And, and I think people know how to generate leads and how to generate clients. They know what, how important testimonials are. And if you don't know exactly how to do it, there's 47 out of 273 booths at my last trade show I went to all saying, this is how we do it. We teach you, we help you. There wasn't, mm -hmm. there was, there wasn't one single booth out of 273 that were offering hiring retention and culture. And yeah. if, if you study even huge companies, multi-billion dollar companies, they put such an emphasis on that. And so that's the gap. That's the, that's the Achilles heel. Um, that I think if you master as a business owner, um, or somebody in the business that wants to add tons of value to the business and business owner, that's where it is. Yeah, no, I totally, totally agree with that. And I think what you're, you're getting at is, uh, it, figuring out what your story is. That's what the, what makes a, a brand promise so powerful is if you can tie it back to a story, both externally and internally for your, your staff and get them excited and kind of seeing the, seeing the vision, seeing the promise and, and seeing the, um, the purpose behind it. Uh, that's, that's huge. And I think that's a, a, a missing piece in a lot of construction firms today is being able to relate it back to what's the purpose. It, Cause bottom line in construction, if construction doesn't exist, society crumbles, <laughs> but I, all too often when I'm, I'm talking with construction firms about marketing and, and their brandings, they're like, well, I don't really have a good story to tell. I, we just are building a building. I'm like, no, you are so missing it. You're doing so much more. You're, you're creating the society and the civilization that, that we're living in. That is a really high calling and really high purpose. Let's connect that and kind of dig into that. Um, there's a, such a cool story to tell that construction um, is seems hesitant to really lean into. And I, I think personally, it stems from a, a humility of construction that they're like, well, I'm just doing my job, you know, <laughs> which is awesome. But you also got to be able to, to own that story and, and, and pick it up and, and share it to other people to bring them into the industry. I agree. I mean, the humility thing, you know, that the whole time you were thinking, I mean, I used to not tell people we were a fourth generation. I thought that was arrogant. My dad yeah. used to say, you know, I used to say, be seen, not heard or, you know, like, we're, no, you know, but it's so like, cool. I know if you're no, not going to say, how is anybody going to know? I, I never, I mean, we never talked about it. Like we didn't, I never for, I mean, many, many years, I would say the last five years, five to seven years, we started to really, like you said, understand our story and where these principles came from and whatnot. But the humility thing, I mean, I never, I was just like, yeah, I mean, people don't even know. I play second in the country in a bricklaying competition in high school. I don't tell, like, there's so much things that you, you just, the construction industry is so rooted in that humility. That's what I was taught. My dad's like, don't say that. Like, don't even talk about it. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So how is it, you mentioned in the last five years or so, you, you started to, to change and kind of lean into that story. What kind of impact has that had on leaning into the story? Huge, because the, the, there's a there's a credibility aspect. Like we had all these things that were credibility uh, factors, 
that we never mm-hmm. we won historical preservation awards we worked for tons of like we did all these things and we wouldn't put them up on the website my dad's like well i don't need to brag he's like we're he's like we're just a humility thing i mean it stemmed yeah. from great grandfathers coming here not speaking the language grandfather just being proud of an honest day's work honest day's pay. i mean i remember my grandfather saying that he said you'll never you know if you want to be a billionaire in this industry probably not you know, probably not, not where you want to go. He's like, but if you love it and you want to make an honest day's pay, he's like, you'll do very well. And I just had, like, I was ingrained with that humility and that, that humbleness. And then I realized that credibility is one and also the ability to inspire um, was another. So it, it was like, I had to, it took a lot though, to, to really feel comfortable talking about myself and, and about what we've done and, and, and it just, I had to really wrap my head around the fact that I'm doing this for other people. Cause if, if it was rooted in me, it immediately triggered the, well, I'm being arrogant or I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not like, what, why, why do I need to say this? Like I've done it. I'm confident in it, but that's not the case clearly. Bridging the gap is powered by gray tech group as a global BIM and modeling expert. Great Tech is dedicated to empowering construction and manufacturing professionals to digitize and industrialize their processes to improve performance and build a sustainable tomorrow. With more than 30 years in the industry, they know how to be your partner in a world where change is the new normal and always strive to enable their customers to gain an increased competitive advantage to model the future. Visit greatech-group.com for more information. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to lean into that because I think it's a, it's a great um, common sentiment that, that comes up. You, you said uh, if you have to rely on the fact that you're, you're not doing it for yourself, you're doing it for other people by sharing your story. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, so I, I, started, uh, I started being more vocal uh, about the things we were doing um, because I realized it was helping people. It was helping contractors. So uh, the whole journey, and, and we'll probably get into some of it, but when, when I figured out hiring and retention and culture, so three, four years ago, I just hit this glass ceiling. I spent a ridiculous amount of money and time. I literally called my, my, my financial team, basically, my CPAs and all that. And I was like, what's the most I can spend without tanking the business cash flow wise? They were like, here's your number. I was like, great, I'm spending all of it. Um, and I just went crazy because I felt like hit a point in business and then it just was all taken away. I was like, I got a phone call from my, my site super. He's like, hey, he goes, XYZ's late again. He's running this big project. I was like, well, third time, read the handbook. He's gone. He's like, well, it's a little more involved than that. He's like, if we do this, we're not going to hit the job. There's liquidated damages. He's like, we're going to lose this other project. And I'm like, what are we talking? He's like, we're going to lose about half a million dollars worth of work. And we're going to have XYZ and liquidate. I'm like, all right, we might have to let him be late again. But it was this, it was this horrible feeling. And so um, to, to kind of come full circle on this. So when I was doing this hiring stuff and I wasn't telling anybody. And then I had a contractor and he's like, hey, Matt, he's like, man, I'm struggling. Da, da, da. And I was like, hey, try this. And I gave him a couple tips. And he calls me a week later. and He's like, man, I hired this amazing. He was a stucco contractor. He's like, man, I can't believe this. I hired this guy. He's as good as my top guy who I trained for like 15 years. He's like, I can't believe it. I just found him like this. This is amazing. And that moment where he called me up better than any. I mean, I think I got to a certain point in my company where we've grown. We've done resident because we do residential commercial government work it was like nothing filled the, it was like it scratched an itch that I can't even begin to describe when he called me that moment. I remember I pulled over and I was like, wow. Cause Pete, Pete was like, he was like my dad. He was this guy working. He's working 14 hours a day. He's trying everything, but he's missing. He's got an eight year old. He's missing her games. He's stressed out. 
And, and it was like, he was like, man, like I'm like, my life just got better. And I was like, wow, like, it's really important to talk about the things you're doing that are working and to help and to contribute. And it was really that moment where the light bulb went off and I was like, I'm going to be as vocal as I can about the things I'm confident about. But it had to come from that, that, that place of, of I'm genuinely moving the needle. Cause I think the hardest part for a lot of us in construction, and this was me. So I had a backlog at one point of literally over a hundred candidates, right? like backlog, like ready to go. Yeah. We call them warm in, in, in my company, but I had no idea. I had figured something out that nobody else had really, or, or that not many people that I knew of. And I'm across the country contractors that I know had really understood. And it was just the humility thing. Like I had no idea. I'm like, you find vet, hire, retain, broken up into four parts. Culture's huge. We were doing a, I did a, a dodgeball game with my, with my team. So we get everyone together and obviously the field versus management. There's sometimes there's tension. So once a month that we, uh, we do dodgeball. I'm like, Hey, save it for the dodgeball game. You know, guys, will be there you go. <laughs> I like, like it. Get them. Yeah. But I mean, these are things that, that nobody did. I'm like, what do you mean other people don't do dodgeball? I'm like, this is great. You know, guys would get upset on the job set with each other. I'm like, Hey, yeah. there's a time and a place and it's four days away at 7 PM. That's right. and they're laughing. You they're take like, them oh, as hard worry. as you want. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, and I didn't know, I had no idea that that was innovation. And so again, like the humility, I'm like, I, I didn't know that all these things were, um, were helpful. And, and so I think it's, it's looking at what you've done well, objectively. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. I hired, I think 18 people this year, right. One of the high, high, hardest hiring years. I mean, we're just, we're, we're, we're growing and then saying, all right, if it works, I'm going to do it for other people. But I think having the, having a, a, a daughter helped with that too, you know, getting more purpose driven, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Kids can do that for you for sure. Uh, what, what are some things that you think companies can, can do to uh, kind of mitigate some of the, the, the strife out there with the, the labor shortage that is obviously happening in, in construction? Well, I, I, so much really first and foremost, I think there's two, two things to know first and foremost. Number one is you have a massive amount of control and opportunity, massive. Um, that's the first one. Uh, the second one is it's, it's a tall hill to climb and, and don't underestimate it. Um, yeah, when I was, I did a, a hiring, uh, panel at, at a, at a show called RoofCon, and, uh, like I'll, I'll show sometimes this, this small little mound of sand and this, this guy, like just towering over it. And I'm like, that's the hill we think we're climbing. And then I'll show this guy in like a bathing suit and he's standing at the bottom of Mount Everest with like a little backpack. And it's like the whole mountain, you could see it looking up. And I'm like, that's the hill yeah. we're actually climbing. So under understanding number one, how important it is. Number two, that you have massive control. Um, and number three, that it's, it's lifelong benefits there. I've seen businesses make one hire change the entire business. You'll never have a sale or, or a relationship that will change your business as much as cracking the hiring and retention code. And I believe personally, that's why the really big companies, the real successful ones don't talk about this stuff because why would you want to teach smaller and medium sized companies how to poach, how to retain, Cause now you're competitive. I mean, the big yeah. companies, you know, 400, a thousand, 5,000 employees, the real big ones, especially in my market, it's like, why would I give away the secret? So now all of a sudden what happens? You're going to be taking my people. So I believe that this gap, if you will, coming back to the gap is actually intentional. And I believe that big companies get there and they're like, oh yeah, we, we got here by marketing and sales and certain branding things. And I'm like, yeah, that's important. But you can watch countless interviews. Steve Jobs was notorious for talking about the importance of hiring and recruiting. He's famous for saying that the difference between an A player and a C player can be 50 or 100x one another, 50 or 100 times 
more effectiveness and output. Yeah. Out. yeah. So it's it's a huge. I think we need to we need to emphasize how important it is, and then and then get into some of the tangible ways to actually implement it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think what's interesting too, and this is starting to change some, but there's been way more focus and, and emphasis on the recruiting side versus the retention side. It's like, all right, well, we already got you. So now you're here, you're stuck, you know, haha, jokes on you. <laughs> Where really, obviously recor- recruiting is huge. Put emphasis on that. I would argue that retention is maybe even more important than the recruiting aspect. Because once you got the great A player on it, if you're not going to be investing in them and showing them that you think that they're valuable and not just uh, a widget that you can kind of insert into place, they're not going to be staying very long. Where if you show that that value and you are invested in them on as a person, not just an employee, they're going to be around for a, a long time because they're going to be just as invested in the company as the company is in them. I, I agree. And when we were building out the contractor hiring course, it was funny because we broke it out. I wanted it to be section or segment based. So find, vet, hire, retain. Uh, so that was very sequential. So you could have, you know, buckets and, and you could have, be in the finding phase and then, all right, I've got a really good amount of candidates. How do I sift, sort and screen quickly? And then it's like, all right, well, I've got three people I want to hire. What do I do? So I wanted to follow it very linearly. And I would say when I got to, to culture, we actually put an emphasis on on really looking like when we when we work with companies and when I'm, I'm you know our team or whatnot, we're really looking at that culture first because that's where people end up. And if yeah. if you don't have good culture and you're not maximizing your team, and what does that look like? Well, culture, and there's a ton of, of research and data on this. I won't I won't belabor the point, but a lot of culture really comes down to a couple of things. It's setting clear standards and expectations, right? I don't if I don't know how, if I'm an A player and I don't know how to get an A, I'm in trouble. Like, I don't feel good because I want to make my, you know, in, in this situation, yeah. I want to make my boss happy. I want to come to the office. He hands me an A or he or she hands me an A and I walk out and I feel great. So A players right. want to know how to get an A. So clear understanding expectations is huge. And then communication is another big one. Um, like we have what's called an honest employee audit. It's a technology that we have. It's all third party and, and anonymous. But I mean, we do this for companies and I'll tell you, it is fascinating. So it, it ranks all these different areas and it's, it's numerical based and there's, there's areas where they can put in their information, but it's, it goes to us. And when we see, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, we've had companies where they're like, oh no, my, my team's like, they're good. I got a few people. And then they're getting out of a 10, a, a, a 10 factor, they're getting threes in certain areas or twos or ones. And it's like, no, you, yeah, you, you know, <laughs> they're smiling and they're, 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 they're there, but the, the important thing in construction is nobody quits when they quit. It's a very, typically, it's a very slow process, we find, that it's not it's not like, oh, you know, this person did this and I'm just going to leave. It's a slow process of, oh, I, I was supposed to have my review, X, Y, Z, and they pushed it out and then they forgot about it. And, oh, mm-hmm. I was told I was going to get $20 reimbursed for gas and then my manager forgot and they did it because they don't like me. Like, it's these all these little things that stack and it's just so fascinating when you see a numerical score and you're like, oh, your average is like 45% satisfaction or 45% in all these areas um, with 20 or 30 or 40 people. And you're staring in the face. I mean, when I read them, I, as the business owner, part of me comes out, the you know construction owner. And I like, I cringe. I'm like, oh man, in this day and age, if I've had seven out of my 20 team members all putting, you know, that they're, they're they don't feel like they're, 
their hard work is being honored. They feel like their manager doesn't communicate well with them. I mean, imagine you're looking at a sheet and you're seeing on a scale of one to 10, tell us how you know well you feel your uh, feedback is received and you're putting twos and you see a row of twos. It's like, oof, that yeah. is a big That's deal to what, to what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I, I, it was funny when you were talking about the kind of the, the slow process of, uh, of of quitting. All I saw in my head was the uh, the, the Homer Simpson gif of him just like fading back into the, <laughs> yeah. the shrubs. <laughs> I, I think that that's true. Uh, you know, that's generally unless it's like something super dramatic, people don't quit in one action. It's all like you said, those little uh, things that that add up, and it's a series over time and if you are objective and watching it, you can see it starting to, those boxes starting to get, get checked. And um, the good news is with it being a slow process, there's time that you can correct it and, and fix it and bring those people back into the fold and, and make them even kind of your, your champion if you can turn it around and bring it back in. Um, but you got to be aware and self-aware enough to, to see it happening. Yeah, no, I agree. For sure. Uh, so as we uh, start to land the, the plane here, you know, innovation is one of the, the core things we've already chatted about. What does innovation mean to you? Innovation to me means means constantly testing. I'm a tester. I mean, that the, the, the hiring stuff came from that. Um, and I'll give you an example, uh, a tangible one. And I think if you're if you're in the skilled trades at all, you'll appreciate this. Um, so. I, I knew that a lot of my potential candidates were gainfully employed. I knew that they weren't looking for work. And so I asked myself, well, where do they go? A lot of them, if a good foreman or somebody in the field, they're picking up materials. So I went to all of my suppliers, right? And they were like, no, nah, we can't advertise. It's favoritism. We can't do this or that. It's okay. So I hired one of those. Those. Uh, well, I was driving back. I felt defeated. And uh, I saw the store was closing and they had one of those people for like mattress sales. And he's spinning yeah, a sign. Yeah. So I go to the guy. I was like, hey. What are you doing Saturday, eight o'clock, 8 a.m.? He's like, nothing. I'm like, now you got something to do. So I had a sign made up that said, you know, masonry and concrete, top pay. And I had it in English and Spanish and he flipped it. And so we went in front of the, the suppliers and we started like doing the side. And I'm, my phone's ringing because people are driving in Saturday. You know, maybe their boss yelled at them for being late that day. And here we are, top pay, you know, how much it is an hour up to. And we're generating calls like crazy. Um, and I found a better way eventually later, which was, to approach the suppliers and offer to put coffee and donuts there in the morning, be like completely free on us. Say in exchange for that though, I'd love to put little cards that say we're hiring, um, you know, just, just so that we can get a little bit of exposure and like, yeah, that's fine. As long as they're like not a big billboard. Like, All right. Yeah. Better than the sign I was, I was spinning out in front last week. I thought, yeah, that'd be better. So, <laughs> so we figured out better ways, but that's the innovation is asking yourself, you know, how can I, how can I make this better for me and better for, for other people? Um, and then not being scared to test and try lots of different things. Um, mm -hmm. And then I think a big part of innovation, and this is the other part, is a lot of people, when we find something that works, we stop something else. And this is mm -hmm. what I, I learned in the, the process of really putting together the contractor hiring course with the team was we had certain things that, that worked. It's almost like you had a, a, let's say you had a marketing activity, right? And you, you had something where you put a dollar in and you get $3 out. And you're testing other things. And then eventually you're like, oh, I've got this awesome thing. I put a dollar in, I get $7 out. Well, why would you stop the one in and three out? You do both. And so right. that, that's the other part of innovation is, is avoiding the shiny object syndrome. 
And, and so like we do, I have recruiter cards that, that have incentives on them. Like, you know, we're hiring, this is who you reach out to. And then things about the company. And so we, we took some of the principles that my grandfather and great grandfathers used. Um, and we, we incorporated that into like the newer stuff. And so that to me was a form of, of, of innovation because most people had stopped doing those old things that still work, which was like, you know, you're at church or you're out somewhere at a restaurant and you're just talking to people. I mean, that stuff's been around for hundreds of years and worked well. So I think it's, it's not being afraid to dust some things off the shelf if they work and try those things. And then also trying what's new and not being scared of it. But it's, it's all this, this middle path because shiny object syndrome is you're trying everything new and dropping stuff. And mm -hmm. then there's the, the tendency to want to cling to things that you know work and not innovate. And I found if you can ride that middle line, if you can ride the middle line of, of taking the emotion out and sometimes even the excitement, because it's like, well, yeah, it's not really super exciting to be like, yeah, take a card, put it in your pocket. When you're talking to people, say, hey, if you know anybody looking for work in construction, and we have some really great incentives that we have, like, there's nothing overly exciting about that, but it works. Right. Yeah. I love the uh, avoid the shiny object syndrome. That's so easy. I think for, especially for people that, that like innovation and, and get excited by that, you're, you're motivated by the, the difference and the, and the change. And so it's so easy to get kind of wrapped up in, in what's new and just even uh, unconsciously just leave the, leave the past behind and be focused on that, that, that new cool thing. So yeah, that, that's awesome. I love that. Um, so how do people find out more information and, and connect with you? Um, the, the contractor consultants.com, uh, is probably the best one. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, final question for you. If I could give you all power and you could innovate one thing in construction, uh, just snapping your fingers and it's done. What would you choose to innovate? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, what would I choose to innovate? I mean, what I'd really like to see, honestly, especially growing up in the trades, I'd like to innovate uh, a way for every single skilled person to to be listed in a in a some type of of online way where where they were accessible to other offers. I, I think if I could innovate a way where where because there's a huge percentage of people in the trades and in in construction in general that don't have resumes and don't have the ability to see all the opportunities that are present to them. And if, if, if there was a way to do that, it would completely level the playing field. I think, um, that and, and innovating, yeah. uh, around, uh, a, a better way to bring people into construction. I think, I think if there were some good government subsidies or we looked at, at ways to, um, to bring more people into the industry, cause I think that's the biggest threat we have as a whole for, for it doesn't matter what side of the, the fence you're on is, is the labor shortage and how, one one goes in, three go out. It's, it's not mm -hmm. good. Yeah, no, those are both both great. Uh, I like the the rolodex of of trades, uh, the online rolodex. <laughs> uh, no, that's great. Love it. Well, Matt, thanks so much for taking the time and, and joining the show. This was really enjoyed the conversation. Of course, thank you, Todd. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take. There is a ton of power in owning and sharing your story. Matt had a great point that he felt free to do that once he realized it was actually helping other people and not bragging. We all have aspects of our stories that would be really helpful to tell. 
that is what we should share throughout the industry. Second take, don't overthink innovation. Matt's bridge project story is the perfect example. In almost every case, the simplest answer is usually the best and the most innovative. Simple can get a bad rap, but the truth is it's harder to be more efficient and simpler, but it's worth it. Final take, avoid the shiny object syndrome. I love innovation as much as the next creative thinker. However, we would do well to not lose track of what is a proven success just because something new is working too. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, Great Tech Group at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining the conversation to model the future on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant. Edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2022.